Well, I'll get enough on here pretty soon, so maybe we'll look like national broadcasting on it. You might be interested in this little sentence. I don't remember if I read it to this class or not. I, I talked to quite a few people, but this is page 71 of volume 7. One sentence of Scripture is of more value than 10,000 of man's ideas or arguments. What is? Do you wonder why it was that Jesus always answered what? Yes, it is written. It is written. One sentence of Scripture is worth more than what? 10,000 of man's ideas and arguments. Well, it would take you a long time to say as much as would be in one, one sentence of Scripture. Now, why? what's the difference? Because man's ideas and man's arguments come from what? Man's mind. One sentence of Scripture comes from God's mind. And, beg your pardon? Volume 7, page 71. Yes. When we get, have you noticed that when you get one thought that's fresh to you, that it's never come to you before, it suddenly illuminates your whole thinking process? Have you found this? Now, when I, when I began to study the nature of man, God's purpose in creating him, my whole horizon changed because I saw things from an entirely different angle. It had been, I, I'd been like a, a mole looking down a molehill, you know. <laughs> you know, and then suddenly everything just opened up. Why? Education begins now and lasts how long? For eternity, and my mind is going to be capable of grasping everything I can learn from all eternity. But my ability to grasp eternal things is going to be based on what? The foundation I built here. Didn't we learn that? So is it important whether we learn or not here? I don't think I shared this statement with you. I, uh, I, I had it in mind, but I don't remember. I don't believe I did. We, we studied it from the book Christ's Object Lessons that the more we impart, the more what? More we receive. And uh, as we impart, we receive. And the more we impart, the more we receive. And that if we start out with a little knowledge, and this is talking especially about the Scriptures, and we begin to uh, explain it, what does it say will happen? Why, it will open up to us. It opens up to us as we begin to explain it. Now, here is the, here is the difference. I mean, here is the, here is the, the uh, opposite. You see, in, the, in Jesus' parables, there were great, wonderful principles of truth involved. And one of his parables was the, uh, was the talents. And one man had five talents, and he went out and traded them, and he got, what, five more talents. And one had two talents, went out and traded, and he got two more. And when it was all over, the Lord said, Enter into the joy of thy Lord. You've been faithful over a few things. I'll make you rule over many things. And one man had one talent. And he said he knew he was a hard man, so he went out and did what? Buried it. And so when the Lord came, he said, I knew that, that you were a hard man. And he said, I was afraid I would lose it. In other words, this is what he was saying in plain English. And so I went out and buried it, so I'd be sure and have it. Here's your talent. And Jesus said, or the Master said, you wicked and slothful servant. At least you ought to put it in the bank so I'd gotten interest on it. And said, take the talent from him and give it to the man that has ten talents. Because he that 
hath shall receive, and he that hath not, it shall be taken from him, even that which he hath. Now, folks, this is not an arbitrary sentence. This is a law. And I want to read you uh, the comment from Christ's Object Lessons. He who refuses to impart that which he has received will at last find that he has nothing to give. That's page 364. He who, huh? He who refuses to impart that which he has received will what? At last find he has nothing to give. He is consenting to a process that surely dwarfs and finally destroys the faculties of the soul. We cannot receive without imparting, without becoming, without its becoming a destructive process. Everything I take into my mind to forget makes me more prone to forget. What I take into my mind and use makes me more capable of holding things in my mind. And every time you repeat something, you remember it better. This is a law. And it, it isn't because God passed a sentence and says, uh, well, you just uh, you haven't used your talent, so I'm going to take it from you. We do it automatically. Yeah. Well, it's obvious any time you don't study or anything, instead of progressing, you have to decrease because your mind isn't active, so it cannot grow and it can only diminish. That's right. Yeah. You see, every physical law has a spiritual counterpart. If we were, if we were really studying into scientific things from God's standpoint, every truth would be would have its would have its counterpart in the spiritual world. Now, tomorrow afternoon, uh, some of the folks want a little class on in refrigeration. Uh, I'm just telling this because uh, there's a very interesting principle involved in it. Well, uh, we're going to have this class. Now, in refrigeration, there are certain laws, and I'll give you one of the basic laws of refrigeration. Heat always travels from a warmer to a colder object. This is a law. If you take two objects and set them here, and one is hot and one is cold, in a little while, what will happen? They both become equalized. And, but the, the cold doesn't go to the heat. Cold is negative. There is no such thing as cold until you get to 460 degrees below zero. That's absolute zero. Anything above that is lack of is a certain amount of heat. You understand? Not much, <laughs> but it's heat until you get to 460 degrees below zero, and that's absolute uh, zero. Uh, anything above that is is a certain amount of heat. Well, anyway, what I was saying is this: this is a law. The cold doesn't go to the heat, the heat goes to the cold. This is a law of nature. Now, uh, this is a spiritual law. If two people are together and one's hot and one's cold, I'll guarantee you that soon something's going to happen. You know what? They'll begin to equalize. But there's another law, a spiritual law, which is much, which we add to that. Now, I'm trying to find this law in nature. I haven't found it yet because we're dealing with inanimate things. The law that God has put in us that if I begin to give out heat, what's he going to do? What's he going to do? He's going to give me some more. Why, sure, if I impart, what do I do? I receive. And the more I, buy, more I impart, the what? more I receive. So if we're following out the, uh, the law that heat travels from the, uh, from the hot, hotter object, the warmer object, to the colder, you and I can, can be continually doing what? And whether we like it or not, whether we believe it or not, we're all imparting something. Did you know that? You see, there's an influence that surrounds every human being just the same as there's an influence that surrounds every star and every planet. Every planet and every star unconsciously affects others. And many years ago, before all the planets of our solar system were 
found and named, there was a, a certain astronomer that was looking into the heavens and he found a new uh, luminous object and he thought it was a planet. And he thought it was a planet of our solar system. He wasn't sure. A mathematician, now this is beyond my mathematics. You understand, I don't understand this, but I just read it. A mathematician was studying astronomy in the heavenly bodies and he found that, that the uh, bodies in a certain area didn't move normally according to what he could see. And by mathematical calculations, he said that at a certain place, he didn't have a telescope, at a certain place, there should be a planet. And they came to this uh, meeting, uh, scientific meeting of the astronomers, and one, and one astronomer who was a mathematician said at a certain place there should be a planet. The other man says, I found a planet there. I, it's right where you said it would be. He recognized that it was there because of the action of the heavenly bodies, one influencing another. When the astronauts went to the moon, after a while they got to the place where uh, the attraction of the moon was what? Greater than the attraction to the, uh, of the earth, and they moved into the orbit of the moon. And everything attracts everything else. And it says in inspiration that we all carry with us an atmosphere, an influence. It said Paul carried with him the atmosphere of heaven. You'll find this in the chapter in uh, on Paul in uh, Acts the Apostles. He carried with him the atmosphere of heaven. And so, whether we like it or not, whether we want it or not, we are all influencing those about us unconsciously. And so, if we're cold, we're unconsciously doing what? <coughs> Taking heat from somebody. If we're warm, we're what? We're unconsciously given. If we're hot, of course, uh, there's a real danger about being warm. We shouldn't be warm. We should be either what? Either hot or cold. Yes, yeah, all right. All right, anything else now then? All right. When you were looking for a law or something that would link the heat getting off, or you consider just a blanket or a boot down sleeping bag when you reflect heat to it, it just reflects it back to you mm -hmm. and you get warmer and warmer. Sure. When we have our covers, it isn't the fact that they're warm, they just what? They just hold our heat. Don't let it get away, that's all. That's right. Okay, anyone else have anything? Then we're going uh, to, we were going to study about the, Sources of education. Yeah. I was thinking about what you said about uh, how to express our own thoughts, but just the thoughts of the Bible. I was thinking that Jesus really didn't say that much. He, most of what he said was, it is written, or else he drew from nature. Because he realized the power and the word, and not, it seemed like not even he trusted to his own thoughts as an example to us. You know, he didn't give many long sermons. It says that when Jesus was drawn into controversy, he didn't trust himself to use his own words. Did you ever get into an argument and use your own words? Or did you ever get into one and use anything else? You know, if we only used inspired answers to discussions, it would cut a lot of our discussions real short. Have you found that out? <laughs> really, wouldn't it? If all we answered was, it is written, I tell you, there would be lots less conversation and lots less discussion and lots less disagreements than there are. Do you agree with me? Because most of it is what? Is arguing about our ideas. And we can have 10,000 of them. They aren't worth what? One sentence of Scripture. Okay. Now, our sources. Before we get into that, I, I want to mention something about the principle of school. And, and uh, my first statement I want to read 
is from the book Education. This is our book, although we're not following it uh, very too close. The first statement I want to read is uh, page 20 of the book Education. The system of education instituted at the beginning of the world was to be a model for man throughout all after time. Well, if God knows everything, and we've already discussed that, what is there that God doesn't know? He, does, he, know, he knows just as much now as he will know in a thousand years. He doesn't learn anything by what happens because he knows it all to begin with. With God, it's just, he's the I am, it's now. And so he set up a model of education at the beginning. As an illustration of its principles, a model school was established in Eden, the home of our first parents. What was? A model school. Well, do you think God ought to know how to establish a school? All right. The Garden of Eden was a schoolroom. What was? Ah, wouldn't that be wonderful to go to school? You wouldn't have to come in out of the rain there. What was the fort? Was the schoolroom? The Garden of Eden. All right. Nature was a lesson book. What was? The creator, the creator himself was the instructor, and the parents of the human family were the students. How would you like to go to that school? <laughs> you see, it says in Christ's Object Lessons and in the book Education that creation was an expression of the thought of God. I'll read it. Page, uh, page 16 of education is, is one statement. The other is Christ's Object Lessons. Page 18. All created things in their original perfection were an expression of the thought of God. Now, if we could see nature and we see it in its perfect form without, uh, the, without the, uh, the other form that's, that's been put into it, without the other uh, source that's put, in, put into it, every time we looked at nature and its real sources that came from God, we would be doing what? We would look, be looking at God's thoughts. So in its original condition, nature was a perfect representation of God's thoughts. And remember, we also studied that man had a covering around him, surrounding him. What was that covering? Light. And every time he approached anything, what happened? That light illuminated it. And it was not only a light of illumination, it was a light of discernment, because that light was God's presence. And the presence of God in Adam and Eve was met by the presence of God. Now, I'm not talking about pantheism. I mean the expression of God. God wasn't in it. This was, this was the works of God, but God in them, uh, that light illuminated nature and the thoughts of God just came back. And do you think it would have been some pretty, pretty beautiful thoughts? God put in that garden everything that was beautiful to the sight and was good to eat. You know, if we had, if we had everything around us that, that was as beautiful and more beautiful in our imagination, as beautiful as it could be, and we had everything around us that was uh, so good to eat that it tasted good uh, beyond our imagination, well, we wouldn't have much to, we wouldn't have to have much that we would uh, need, would we, beside that? But that's the way it was. All right, now you say, but times have changed. Oh, yes, times have changed. But I'd like to read another statement. And this is, that was page 20. Now on page 30 of the book Education, it says, under changed conditions, 
true education is still conformed to the Creator's plan. What is? The plan of the Eden School. Adam and Eve received instruction through direct communion with God. We behold the light of the knowledge of, of His glory in the face of Jesus Christ. So what has taken the place of God's original presence as, as, as man could look upon Him undimmed in His glory? What's taken the place of it? The light of the knowledge of what? Jesus Christ. You see, God that man could look upon in his sinless state has now been changed to Jesus who is a man that we can look at in his human form and see God in a form we can understand. That's why it says, at the end of the chapter, the teacher sent from God this beautiful statement. This is on page 83. In the teacher sent from God, who is that? Who is it? Jesus. All true educational work finds its center of this work today as barely as of the work he established 1,800 years ago. The Savior speaks, I am the first and the last, the living and the living one. I am an Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. In the presence of such a teacher, of such opportunity for divine education, what worse than folly is it to seek an education apart from him? To seek to be wise apart from wisdom to be true while rejecting truth, to seek illumination apart from the light, and existence without the life, to turn from the fountain of living waters and hew out broken cisterns that can hold no water. You see, somebody says, but there's so many wonderful things, you know, that you find out in books that people have read. I wonder how many of you really read carefully the first chapter. I hope you've at least read carefully the first chapter of education, because this this paragraph says, this is the third paragraph of the book, the world has had its great teachers, men of giant intellect and extensive research, men whose utterances have stimulated thought and opened to view vast fields of knowledge, and these men have been honored as guides and benefactors of their race, but there is one who stands higher than they. We can trace the line of the world's teachers as far back as human records extend, but the light was before them. As moon and star, as the moon and the stars of our solar system shine by the reflected light of the sun, so as far as their teaching is true, do the world's great thinkers reflect the rays of the sun of righteousness. Every gleam of thought, every flash of intellect is from the light of the world. Well, someone, uh, you know, when I was younger than I am now considerably, I was, in fact, I was back in the academy, and I got to reading things that uh, I shouldn't read. And uh, we were discussing in our class one day about reading, and I, I'll never forget what the principal said. I, it, it's, it's just still with me. And we were telling him, well, we found some wonderful things. And he sat there and listened a little bit, and pretty soon he said very solemnly, well, folks, he said, there's really a lot of good water that goes down the sewer. But he says, you know, I don't drink from the septic tank. He says, in fact, 99% of all the water that goes down the sewer is good water, drinking water. But it's just got enough in it I don't like it. It doesn't take much to contaminate good sources. Did you know that? And folks, as we enter into the close of this earth's history, we had better be careful of the sources we, that we partake of. Do you agree with me? You see, the most deadly thing there is is that that has the least error and the most right because it's so almost indistinguishable. 
And so, folks, if we want true education, we need to eat from the tree of life. Now, I'm not going to say what books you need in scientific. I'm not going to get into that. But carefully examine whatever you read. And I really believe that all we need for our own personal experience and our education we can get from inspired sources. I don't have time to read it. I, I can't get it all read. Do you? Uh, maybe you folks have more time than I do. And I've had people bring to me things to read. And I'd say, well, when I get my required reading in, I'll read it. I very seldom ever read compilations anymore that come from people. You know why? You can take inspired sources and take things all together and put them so they direct your mind too far off in one direction. And personally, I like to spend more time with those books that were put out by the prophet herself because you'll find them very balanced and you'll find it all mixed up so you don't get indigestion on one subject. God gave us the testimonies for the church in just the right balance. If you want to gain spiritual strength, you read the testimonies through. Start right out with the first book that gives the story of the prophet's conversion, and it'll thrill you. And you'll find then come the special testimonies. And let me tell you, you'll find... Uh, I read it, and one says, Dear Brother M. Well, you know. <laughs> and when sometimes it says, Dear Brother R., it should say, Well, of course, that's for me, too. That's my first name, you know. And I find it says, somebody may say, Dear Brother S. or Dear Sister S. It was written particularly for me. You see, I know some of these were written just as much for me as they were for the person they were written for. Because God had me in mind, I'm quite sure, when you read some of those, wrote some of those testimonies. Now, we're dealing with what? With the sources of education. Jesus, in his answer to Satan in the first temptation in the wilderness, said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by... But by what? Every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Yes, Andre. I, I really <clears throat> am impressed um, with what you just shared with us. Um, I've heard that once before, and, and it's, just, it's just amazing how the Lord has a way of repeating His instruction every now and then, uh, not letting us, not letting you get by. Here's a statement here. I have a copy of this article from the um, Christian Educator. The same um, reference where you get the statement now as never before. Now, won't you stand up and share with this with the people? Now, this is a this is a speech class. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I said I had a, a copy of the whole article that appeared in the Christian Educator. Um, this article by Sister White, and the date was um, 1897. Just one sentence that just really spoke to my heart and relates to what um, Brother Martin just said. Our religious experience is of exactly the same quality as of the food we give our minds. And that really speaks a lot to me. Um, when I read Education, page 77, and I read about how Christ followed the divine plan of education, uh, as far as his literary uh, influence was concerned, it was from the scriptures. His scientific knowledge was from studying nature. Uh, his practical, useful uh, experience was learning a trade from his father. I'm sure there he learned his mathematics and someone else that was 
needed to make the whatever he was making in a carpentry shop. But literally speaking, in terms of literary pursuit, it was a dust day for Lord. Um, I have found in my own experience, one of the reasons why I'm so opinionated is because I'm so, so, so um, quote, educated. Opinionated. But I, I've got a blessing from um, studying, you know, education and realizing that uh, there's just too much talking and perhaps too much reading and other things that I don't need to spend so much time in. We've shared this statement with you. This is a very beautiful statement uh, on page 116 in my book. Some of you have one, some of the 76 pages according to the index. I give you that and you may, may want to look it up. It's under the section, Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Mount of blessing. God has made provision that we may become like unto him. He's what? Now who, does that, who is that talking to? Is that talking to me? Well, is it talking to you? Well, who's it talking to? Everybody. Everyone that comes into the world, God has made a plan for that person's life that they may what? Be like him. You have a better plan? You have higher ideals? God has made provision that we may be like him. And he will accomplish this for all who do not interpose a perverse will and thus frustrate his grace. He will do what? He's made provision that we what? Might be like him. Then do you think that God has given us all that we need? He, has he furnished us with everything necessary? Now, to add to that, in Fundamentals of Christian Education is this statement on page 408. That which, is the, what, that which in the counsels of heaven the Father and the Son deemed essential for the salvation of man was defined from eternity by infinite truths which finite man, minds cannot fail to comprehend. Revelations have been made for their instruction in righteousness that the man of God may glorify his own life and the lives of his fellow man not only by possession of the truth but by communicating it. Now God is saying in this that I have decided in the councils of heaven what you need for your salvation and whatever you need I have communicated it to you by, by inspiration. Aren't you glad of that? And there's another thing and this is real interesting to me. Did you know that God has matched our intelligence with the knowledge in the right proportion? <laughs> well, you say that's a pretty big statement, huh? Well, did you know that God saw that the people before the flood were too smart? And so he gave less wisdom after the flood because they, they were too smart for their own good? You know, we, we put a lot of uh, value on IQ, and this is good, but there are going to be some dull people that get to heaven where the geniuses don't. You understand what I mean? God has given us the knowledge we need. He's given us what? Intelligence. Uh, I spent quite a bit of time working with handicapped children. You know, uh, we look at them and we, we kind of look down our noses sometimes. But th most of these are, are very loving people, ordinarily speaking. 
And if the Lord has to handicap me to get me to heaven, I'm going to praise Him for all eternity. You know, we idolize genius and, and wisdom here, but I'm glad that God has given us all we can handle. And this statement is from uh, the commentary. And uh, I thought it was very interesting because when I, when I read it, it, uh, it really appealed to me. You know, uh, I'm not too smart, I, uh, uh, but I think I have enough intelligence. And I know all of us have enough intelligence to say it, that the Lord can save us. But this says on page uh, 1089, volume 1 of the commentary, 1 B.C., 1089, God blotted this long-lived race from the earth and with them perished the knowledge they had used only for evil. When this earth was repeopled, the Lord, tr in, the Lord trusted His wis wisdom more sparingly to man, giving them only the ability they would need in carrying out His great plan. When this earth was repeopled, the Lord, tr in, the Lord trusted his wis wisdom more sparingly to man, giving them only the ability they would need in carrying out his great plan. You see, we, we think, oh, my, that person's real smart. Well, if they're not using that knowledge to the glory of God, and I'm glad I'm just an ordinary person. We need to be very careful about idolizing genius because God has given us enough wisdom to do what? And so don't go around saying, well, I'm dumb. Listen, God made you. And if you can't get what you're getting, then go to Him. If He doesn't give it to you, leave it alone, will you? He's got something He'll give you that you need. And you have enough intelligence to get all you need to get to heaven. Don't you think? Huh? Said He only gave them enough wisdom that they might carry out His plan. You see, education has, has really idolized high intelligence. And I've seen some highly, in, highly educated people that didn't have common sense one. If you know what I'm talking about. If a lot of people were dropped on a desert island, they'd sure have a hard time if they didn't have somebody to wait on them. And one of these days, something's going to happen to all of us. Did you know that? I just, uh, yeah, just a minute. Let me read this. I just, I just cut this statement out. I think I shared it with you. This is written uh, in 1906 to, to regarding the Mountain View. Now, this is out in California where people, you know, they, that's a little better than anywhere else. But uh, it's all right saying something's going to happen out there, too. Because we are now settled here in Mountain View, it says, we seem to think that we shall never be moved. But there will come a time when there will be a great scattering, a scattering that we do not now dream of. A what? And it will be brought about in unexpected ways. In what? Now, folks, this is, this, these are not my words. God's talking. You and I should not be dealing with what we can see, but we should be dealing with what God has said is coming and get ready for that. Do you agree with me? We all have intelligence enough to handle what we have now, perhaps, in our own way. But a wise man sees evil coming, and what did he do? He prepares himself. Now listen to this. Some of you will be taken away to remote regions, but God will have a work for you there. And I want you to know that in a very short time, a matter of months, or short years at the most, our condition could be so absolutely different and unbelievable that we can't imagine it today. We're not going through like we are today. Do you all understand that? And so education is to help us to know what God says so that we come in a relation to Him that we can meet all circumstances in His way. And if we have a relationship with Him, 
then he he will guide us. Uh, I read to us a statement, Divine Guidance, on page 16, that when the persecutions of the past are repeated, blended with celestial glory, there will be conditions that we don't dream of now. I'm giving it my own words. You can read it on page 16. It said, We'll walk in the light of God's presence. By the means of angels, there will be constant communication between heaven and earth. And folks, we're going to get, we get we can sort of get along without the angels today, but one of these days we're going to be real glad to have them. You know that? Yes. Now, what were you going to say? Well, uh, that's a special testimony to, to the Mountain View work. You'd have to get a copy of it. I it's uh, it isn't in print as far as any, as far as I know. Uh, I'd be glad to. Some of these references, I think, would be real good to get in print. But now, back to what I was saying. God has decided in the councils of heaven how much knowledge we need. And He's given it to us in what? In inspiration. Do you think we should be digging? Do you think that we're going to learn in class what we individually need to know? Don't ever think it for a minute. All we can possibly do is get a few fringes. But we should be studying as if our life depended on it, because it does. Did you ever read a statement that says something like that? There's a chapter in Great Controversy that would be real good for all of us to read. It's called The Scripture's a Safeguard. There's some very interesting statements in that. One at the very beginning of the chapter says, The last great delusion is soon to open before us. Antichrist is to perform its marvelous works in our sight. It's going to bring down what? fire from heaven. Do you think this is going to deceive a lot of people? You see, here's something else that I want to bring right in here because it's real important. God seldom does the same thing twice. You know why? Why, the devil would begin to counterfeit it immediately. He only had Israel march around one city. Why didn't he do all of it? Why didn't he march around all of them? He always does it in a new way and he directs his people so that he catches the devil off guard. This is why we must study he, he, just, he just doesn't do things twice. Seldom. There was a time when it was a sign of the true God for fire to come down from heaven and to, dis, and to burn up a sacrifice. When was that? In Elijah's time. Will that be a test again? Yes, it will. But not God's test. Whose test will it be? And, it is, uh, and people are going, listen, this is not going to be done somewhere in the corner. Do you think it is? When this comes, this is going to be this is going to be on, on television. This is going to be uh, the great decisive test. Because at this time, who's going to be here? Satan. And he's going to prove to the world he's Christ because he can do what? Well, you think it's going to deceive a lot of people? It will deceive everybody but the elect. All right, now notice. So closely will the counterfeit resemble the true that it will be impossible to distinguish between them except by the Holy Scriptures. Is this education? To know what? To know the voice of God, to know the Word of God, to know what He said, and to have a connection with Him so that He is not only speaking to us, but speaking in us and through us. By their testimony, every statement and every miracle must be tested. Well, do you think we should be testing things by statements and miracles, by by the, uh, inspiration today then? None but those who have fortified the mind with the truths of the Bible will stand through the, great last, through the last great conflict. 
none but those whose minds are what? Fortified. This is on page 9, 593 of uh, a controversy. To every soul will come the searching test. Shall I obey God rather than men? The decisive hour is even now at hand. Are our feet planted on the rock of God's immutable word? There's another place that says that we cannot trust our senses. Well, did you ever hear anybody say, well, I know it's true, I saw it. Have you ever hear that? Have you ever said it? Well, it may not be true if you see it. I remember many, when I was young, many years ago, I heard a missionary come back from India. And, it, and or I read it, I don't remember, it's been a, uh, the story came out of India, then it was a missionary, and the missionary was over there and he was working among the people, and they have, they have devil worshippers there, they have all kinds of things happen in India. And he was standing on the street and here came an Indian faker, he came out and he, he rolled out a mat. And while he was standing there looking, a tree came right, right up out of that mat. And it had fruit on it. And an Indian boy came and climbed that tree and was eating the fruit. He thought, well, isn't that something? Well, how'd that happen? And he had a camera. And he took out the camera and he took a picture. And he was so excited he went home and he developed that picture. And what do you think he found? He saw the the Hindu faker and he saw the mat but there was no tree and there was no Indian boy there there was nothing there let me tell you God has the uh, devil has the ability to do make us see things that aren't there do you think that's real? well sure he can make things appear to us this is why we must not even trust our senses it must be based on what? right down here in Chattanooga several years ago a mother and a daughter were on the safety zone waiting for a bus and a crazy driver came through and ran over that safety zone and killed them, the daughter and the mother right there. The husband was a teacher out at Collegedale. They had two more daughters out there. She, uh, after that, several nights, the mother and the daughter appeared to those two girls telling them that they'd come back to visit them. Would that be really a deadly thing when you had lost someone that you'd loved? But this has happened many times. This is not something different. And you know what they had to say? You're not my mother. You're not my sister. You're the devil. Well, listen, do you think that's easy? And doesn't it say in great controversy that our loved ones are going to come back? Folks, we have to be, we have to be grounded. And we have to be grounded in thus saith the Lord. Uh, this, is, this is why we should understand it's not just a matter of knowledge folks it's a matter of life and death and we must know that we have a connection with, with Christ himself alright now I want to go I see we're not going to get very far into this sources of education but the statement that I uh, well we were, we were talking about education we were talking about coming back to the Eden school and how we should uh, have uh, we're going back to the type of education before it's all over of the original education. Folks, one of these days, if we're scattered, and it plainly says all schools among us will close, well, I don't know when that's going to be, but I know this, that we're going to have to stand individually and alone. Individually and alone. And we must know that we do know what is truth. Uh, you see, as an illustration of Jesus... Uh, teaching. Uh, I want to turn. If you, I don't know if you have your book, Education. If you have it, if you bring it, we'll be using Education 
off and on. Uh, in the chapter, the an illustration of his methods, it tells about his school, and I think uh, uh, I think we should study Jesus' methods of education. It says he was the greatest. He was the greatest teacher. We all agree with that, don't you? Then what would he have had? He would have had the ideal school, wouldn't he? The most complete illustration of Christ's methods as a teacher is found in his training of the twelve first disciples. Upon these men were to, west, were to rest weighty responsibilities. He had chosen them as men whom he could imbue with his spirit and who could be fitted to carry forward his work on earth when he should leave it. To them, above all others, he gave the advantages, the advantage of his own companionship. What did Jesus give to his pupils? What did he give? He gave himself. He gave himself. In the training of his disciples, the Savior followed the system of education established at the beginning. He followed what? The Eden type of education. Now, folks, I'm, I want you to understand I'm, I'm not here to say we should throw all education out. I'm not here saying we should uh, that everything that isn't of this type is from the devil. You understand what I'm saying? But I say this that we are coming rapidly back to this and you folks all know that I have a real burden for family education. And the reason I have a burden for family education because inspiration tells us that that is the greatest influence in the world and that before the end all divine institutions will be reestablished. And after all, there are only two divine institutions. What were they? The Sabbath and the home. And I want you to know that everywhere I've been, and everywhere I've had any contact, the families that are getting involved in home education, something's happening to the parents and the children. And God is, is reestablishing it. And, I, and uh, we, should, we don't have to be parents and children. We can get together as little groups. There'll be families that aren't blood relatives. You understand? It's going to be groups working together, studying together. And we're here as a class, and this is all right. I have no... Uh, I say this is all right, but we aren't going to do this forever. A time is coming when we're going to have to... We will be real blessed if we can be in little groups because some of us may be alone in dungeons. We may be in bondage. Did you ever read these statements? And now we're preparing for it. And listen, we don't wait for the last minute to get prepared. So Jesus was, went back to what kind of education? Family education. And he, here's what it says. It says, The twelve first chosen with a few others who through ministry to their needs were connected were from time to time connected with them, formed the family of Jesus. They formed what? The family of Jesus. They were with him in the house, at the field, in the closet. In the, at the, tab in the house, at the table, in the closet, in the field. They accompanied him on his journey, shared his trials and hardships, and as much as in, the, in them entered into his work. Now, his pupils were chosen from the ranks of the common people. Now, I've asked this question many times. Were the disciples uneducated men? Were they uneducated? Yeah. <laughs> well, notice what... You know, I, I've said all... My, I've, I've taught for years whether he called the disciples they were uneducated. But I've had to change my mind. I've had to change my thinking process. I want you to notice what it says. They 
were humble, unlettered men, these fishers of Galilee, men unschooled in the learning and customs of the rabbis, but trained by the stern discipline of toil and hardship. They were what? The be- I'm reading from Book Education, page 85. The, their basic training was over. They had already gone through boot camp. <laughs> they were trained by the discipline of what? Toilet. Then is there a training in, in toil and hardship? And that way he could train them in how long? Three and a half years. You see, uh, Moses didn't have that and it took him 40 years to train him. Well, there's something real significant about that. Now, it says they were men of native ability and of teachable spirit, men who could be instructed and molded for the Savior's work. Now, notice what this says. In the common walks of life, in what? There is many a toiler patiently treading the round of his daily task. Doing what? Doing it how? Patiently treading the rounds of his daily task. You know, I, this is what I hear all the time. I'm not getting an education. Well, if you're just staying with a job that needs to be done and doing it the way it should be, don't think you aren't getting an education. If the Son of God came to this earth and spent 30 years in a carpenter shop, I doubt if it was real exciting work. I don't think there was anything very glamorous about it. He was probably repairing old chairs. And he was I doubt if he built many mansions. He was probably doing the kind of work... Well, he lived in Nazareth, and Nazareth was no great town. But he carried on his work how long? It says nearly 30 years, as soon as he was able to carry tools, but he carried it on. And But during that time, folks, he was getting something. He was getting a training. He was getting a discipline. He was getting a discipline that taught him some things. And as we get into this, we're going to learn some things about this are very interesting. All right? It says... In the common rounds of, daily, of life, there is many a toiler patiently treading the round of his daily tasks, unconscious of the latent powers that roused, roused to action would place him among the world's great leaders. One of these days, we're going to be surprised at the people that God uses to finish his work. Did you know that? You're going to be surprised. Just remember this. There's absolutely no relation between position on this earth and position in the heaven. Do we all understand that? No relation whatever. The size of the house we live in here has nothing to do with the size of the house we're going to live on in heaven. All right, this was Jesus' school. And the work today is going to be finished as Jesus' work was done. When Jesus went, uh, when, when Jesus went out and began his ministry, he was filled with the Spirit. He received the Spirit without measure. This is an exact representation of how people are going to finish God's work. Only this time there are going to be thousands of people instead of one. With the same power, the same spirit that he had, and they're going out and they're going to finish it. Let me tell you folks, it isn't going to take long to finish God's work. But it takes a long time to get ready for it. If it took Jesus 30 years to get ready for a three and a half year ministry, I'm sure it's going to take him a little while to train us. What do you think? Because, first of all, we're not as diligent as he was. So, let's be sure that we're doing God's work, we're doing it his way, and we're getting learning the lessons day by day. Remember, we, we just live a day at a time. Now, I want to go to the next statement we have, and this is where I'm going to leave, leave us today, because this is, a, this is a good 
And this is about Jesus' own education. And this is on page 77 of the same book, Book Education. With the people of that age, the value of all things was determined by outward show. By what? I'm glad it isn't that way today, aren't you? As religion had declined in power, it had increased in pomp. The educators of the time sought to command respect by display and ostentation. By what? To this, the life of Jesus presented a marked contrast. You know, one of the great reformatory movements was started in a great city. I was just reading it in great controversy not long ago by an artist coming into a city and painting on the walls of the buildings the contrast between Jesus and the religious leaders of his day. <laughs> it started a real revival in Reformation. His life demonstrated the worthlessness of those things that men regarded as life's great essentials. Born amidst surroundings the rudest. I don't think any of you were born in the stable. I wasn't. Sharing a peasant's home, a peasant's fair, a craftsman's occupation, living a life of obscurity, identifying himself with the world's unknown toilers. Isn't that beautiful? With what? Amidst these conditions and surroundings, Jesus followed the divine plan of education. Where? Rude surroundings, obscure, uniting himself with the world's what? Unknown toilers. He followed the what? Divine plan of education. The schools of his time with their magnifying of things small and belittling of things great. I'm glad we don't do that too, aren't you? With their belittling of things small, with their magnifying of things small and their belittling of things great, he did not seek. His education was gained directly from heaven-appointed sources. From what? <laughs> from youthful work. This is number one. From the study of scriptures and of nature. Number two. They go together. Nature and scriptures. Don't try to separate them. You can't study nature without the scriptures. Nature's revelation is incomplete. From the studies of, na of scripture and nature and from the experiences of life. From what? God's lesson books. Now, I want us to get this. What are God's lesson books? Useful work. Study of scriptures and nature and what? Life's experience. Experiences of life. God's lesson books full of instruction to all who bring to them the willing hand. The what? The willing hand. The seeing eye and the understanding heart. And then it says, I want you to notice the next sentence. It's a quotation. The child grew and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Thus prepared, he went forth to his mission in every moment of his contact with men, exerting upon them such an influence and an influence to bless, a power to transform such as the world had never witnessed. 
because in this he was he received a an education that gave, that that enabled him to have the witness of power. Now, folks, this these are God's lesson books, and don't ever forget it. What is the first one? Useful work. Now, people, I, I you know, uh, of course, you folks know that I that I have a. A very, uh, I suppose maybe I'm I'm overbalanced. I don't know. I don't want to be, but uh, I believe in in useful work. And I'll tell you why I believe in useful work. And I don't have much time to tell you on this. This we're going to we're going to go into this. Our next study we're going to study these books. We're going to start with useful work. We'll see what you can find about it. And I'll tell you why I believe in useful work is because when you have useful work to do, everything you do is important. When you're dealing with practical things. You can have 99 things right and one thing wrong and it won't work. <laughs> and if you were that close to things theoretically, it would be wonderful because you wouldn't know whether it worked or not. In practical things, people learn to follow instructions. And they find if you don't follow instructions, it doesn't work. You see, in all the theoretical knowledge you get, somebody has to tell you when you're wrong. But when you're doing practical things, nobody has to tell you. You know it right away if it doesn't work right in front of you. If you're putting on, if you're hanging the door and you don't do it right, nobody has to tell you. Andre and I just been putting on some roof. Now, he won't mind my saying this. But I told him some things that he didn't really think they were very important. But you know they were. Because he learned that it's easier to do it right the first time than it is to do it the second time. Did you find that out? <laughs> Folks, the reason for practical work, the reason for useful work is that it teaches us common sense. It tells us whether our reasoning process is right or not. And when I work a mathematical problem, when I have a theoretical spiritual problem that is not put to practice, I don't know whether it's right or not. I can argue all day over it. And we can all have the same results, but we don't either know whether we're right because we've never put it into practice. I think we should talk about our, in our spiritual life those things that have actually happened and not what ought to happen. I think our testimony should be of what has really taken place. You see, I, can, I, I, I have three or four watches, and there isn't much wrong with any of them, but they don't run. Everything about them is good, except one little thing. But you know what? They don't run. And you know you can make the best bread or attempt to make the best bread. You can have everything right. You can just do everything from beginning to end right. But if you leave out the yeast, you have problems. you understand what I'm talking about? This is why God wants us to spend so much time in learning useful work because it teaches us that we have to do things right to get results. And I'll tell you, when we apply the principles of practicality to spirituality, something's going to happen in this world. You can sit in a committee and vote a building to be built. But if you just stay there and vote, you're sure going to have a hard time getting a shelter from it. And you can talk about Christianity from here on out. But it isn't going to save you unless, I, unless something is done about it. All right, our time is up. I wish you'd take your books, take the Bible, take your index, 
our, our next topic is going to be useful work, and it will be dealing with manual labor. And, and uh, I think we'll, and then if, if we get through with that, we're going into the next, and that's a study of what? Scriptures and nature. These are God's lesson books. God's lesson books, full of what? What did it say? What are they full of? Full of instructions to all who bring to them the what? The willing hand, the seeing eye. And folks, when we have that, we have, we've got a good start because it's going to take us down a beautiful road. And God is going to use people in a special way who have followed the divine plan of education. All right? Who'd like to lead us? Who'd like to pray tonight? This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.